Hi there, how's it going? Bonnie Violet here, a queer chaplain. And in case you don't know where you are, you are at Dragon Spirituality plus Trans Spirit tonight. Um, I am a trans, genderqueer, uh, spiritual drag artist and digital chaplain. And this is episode number two of six for a collaboration with Glide Memorial Church and the Glide Pride team. Uh, yes, so this is number two of six. Uh, the, I guess the title is Faith, Hope, and Justice. And um, I'm really excited for tonight's guest. Um, it's going to be a great conversation. I don't know if you got to join on Friday, but it was my first opportunity to do just a trans and spirituality conversation, talking with someone just about being trans who doesn't do drag. Um, and so this tonight I get to talk with a trans artist, which I've done in the past, um, who also does drag. And so I'm really excited to be able to, um, to do that. Um, this is an interactive conversation. So do feel free to send questions in the comments throughout the night. Um, we will uh, respond to the questions as we can and as we see fit. Um, you know, say hi, send your love, all that fun stuff is cute too. Um, it helps us realize that we do have an audience out there. <laughs> um, also, what else do I need to, I, I do the worst of this sort of stuff. I feel like I should be like reading from a script or, you know, saying all the right things. And that's just not, just not how I do it. Um, there will be an opportunity to learn a little bit more about like how you can support the work of a queer chaplain and Glide as well as our guest. And um, we'll spend more time on that as well. Hi, Stacy. thanks so much for your kind words. She told me I was beautiful for those who are just hearing from audio. Um, Beans, this is going to a podcast. That's the other thing I could mention. We, we do um, record this live. We live stream this on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. And then we do end up uploading it to our podcasts, um, podcasts with both Glide and mine on a queer chaplain and trans spirit. Hello, Paul, glad you could join us this evening. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, get right into it. So our guest this evening is Polly Amber Ross. Polly Amber Ross is an undead housewife living her best afterlife, dissecting the patriarchy one slaughter at a time. And Peter Pansexual is a zombie man-child working to unlearn toxic masculinity while, fa while falling apart at the seams. Both are alter egos of trans, non-binary, queer performance artist Chris Steele that have been haunting queer spaces with politically subversive, thematically irreverent, and physically explosive explorations of drag as theater. So tonight we have Polly Ross. Um, <laughs> yes, let me switch this real quick. There's a better view. Hello. Thanks Hi. so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> Guess I got to get on screen there a little better. <laughs> and it's and it's reversed too. It's not mirrored, so I'm constantly like, nope, wrong side. That's that side. This side. Okay, we'll figure it out. <laughs> right. Go opposite. Got it. <laughs> it takes a minute. Uh, hi, Amy. Amy says she's excited to uh, be celebrating trans art. Trans arts. Fantastic. Well, um, I like to. I like to hi. Mug Polly, do you know Mug Polly? I don't know King That's Lotus, Lotus Boy. Thank I you. Figured, I figured that was an inside. Is that what's Mug Polly? Mug oh, means face. She's so just complimenting right. my my beat. I that <laughs> totally makes sense. I'm my signature weird half and half that I do. <laughs> no, it looks great. It does look great. 
I'm a little slow sometimes. <laughs> um, so I like to just kind of go right into the conversation. Um, uh, and I like to start when we were younger, you know, a lot of what I'm trying to do is get an understanding of somebody's experience with, with transness and drag, and then also spirituality throughout the lifetime. So, um, so let's start with little Chris. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like for you growing up? Sure. Um, I have always been a person who exists most comfortably sort of in an androgynous non-binary space. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that I think from a very young age should have been very obvious to anybody around me. Um, I've always been like a storyteller and a performer and an artist. Um, when I was really little, I would always like craft performances for my entire family to watch um, at, at Hostage Point because you can't not watch the children. <laughs> I had the entire Wizard of Oz memorized when I was six and would perform it as a one-person show. Oh, wow. Um, watch out, Judy Garland. And uh, so I think that that's sort of like, as I've come to terms more and more with my trans identity, I've uncovered like lots of memories from that era that had sort of been buried away from me of like how this non-binariness and this transness has always been the most comfortable and truest version mm -hmm. of me. Um, I was raised Mormon, which okay. is a very specific uh, religion, uh, mm -hmm. a specifically American religion too. So there's a lot of layers to it um, and has very rigid gender norms and mm -hmm. expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of that, early knowledge of myself, I think just began to be really buried from me as I was sort of growing up, trying to uh, playing the drag of being a boy for so long and doing my damnedest. And as a really good performer, like I, I can convince myself of almost anything for quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was an, definitely an early part of my journey is trying to reconcile sort of like my family's um, and my larger families, because Mormon families are very connected and very big. Uh, mm -hmm. emotional and spiritual beliefs alongside things that didn't quite feel like I fit into that realm. Yeah. Um, and art was really a way for me to be able to express the parts of myself that weren't sanitized and that couldn't mm -hmm. fit in that, in that Mormon space because it was exploring any version of me. So I was always writing or singing or performing in shows. And that was uh, a sort of an acceptable way to do it because the Mormons are also a very artistic culture and they appreciate mm -hmm. and support the arts. So in that way, I was found like a, a secret little cheat code bypass to be able <laughs> to explore some of these parts of myself that I didn't quite have the language to articulate or didn't quite feel safe enough or comfortable to articulate. Mm -hmm. And did you, um, was there a time that you enjoyed like Mormonism or being part of the Mormon community? I think um, it's difficult. Uh, I think there's a lot of, harm that gets experienced under colonially patriarchal religions. And I mean, Mormonism is like an actively colonizing religion in their practice. Um, but there are definitely parts of like growing up in a religious family that like where Mormonism is deeply rooted in family values. So like being able to have family time and like spending a lot of close time with a lot of the women in my family, I think is a, is a major influence on me now as an adult. I was very close with both of my grandmothers. I was very, very close with my mom. Um, and so those sorts of like early memories and connective moments I do think are really important and are things I, I return to 
now as an adult? Yeah, that was something I always, I grew up in Idaho where it's mostly Mormon and, but I was non-Mormon, but one of the things that it, that I witnessed was, is that there were, there were large families and everyone was super tight knit and all the, in my area, they had all the money, they had all the, just, I don't know, they just had a lot going on. And, uh, but that was one thing that was kind of great about it is that there was kind of like this cohesion, at least from the outside, it looked, it looked kind of nice, I guess. Um. <laughs> well, and I think along with any organized religion, right, there's going to be like the intent of the individual, which like is your personal spiritual practice. And like mm -hmm. moments of that from the Mormon religion, there are things of like my personal praxis that I've carried forward from that. Like there is a very like regimented step to like apology and repentance in the Mormon religion that isn't just about making a deal or admitting it's like you have to like the extra step is like you have to go out of your way to fix the harm you caused mm -hmm. and so that like that sort of sense of reparation has always been something that's been very um deeply instilled in me and mm -hmm. i do think it's something that uh is really useful and that i wish more people learned is that like it's not just about feeling bad it's that like feeling bad is actually a step on the way to learning something and mm -hmm. then fixing the problems that you caused exactly. so that you can move forward yeah, more of like making amends rather than just saying, sorry about that. <laughs> or like, yeah. I already feel bad about it. Why don't you forgive me? Because you haven't fixed it yet. <laughs> right. There's that extra step of like, yes, you feel bad. And that motivates you to fix it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Did you, and so was drag something that you were interested in fairly young too? Or did that come later on? I mean, I didn't even know drag existed. I had yeah. very little reference with queerness. I had very like... The Mormon church rather than other church does address, like sometimes you have same sex attraction, ignore it forever, it's normal. Mm, and that's right. like, a, I think a little uh, more difficult to overcome than religions that like directly say, no, it doesn't happen or it's wrong. Because right. at least you can be like from within that, like that's very vague, but to address it, I think that took me a lot longer to be able to overcome that um, negative messaging. To be mm -hmm. able to be like, no, but if it does happen, then it's something that just is a part of me and something that I should embrace. But that said, like, I have been lip syncing to songs as a performer and as an actor since I was a child. And like, I have very early memories about like lip syncing to the cores and Shadezy in my parents' mm -hmm. room when no one was around in like my dad's oversized shirt as a dress and like a, a towel for hair. So like, if anyone had ever told me you can take culture, process it through a queer lens and use lip syncing mm -hmm. and physical movement as a, as a, career, I would have been on that track so much earlier. <laughs> from the, so it from does the feel like coming home in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And um, when, I guess, when did uh, your, it sounded like your sexuality was maybe something that was not quite jiving with um, Mormonism and all that. When did that sort of kind of come to a, a head for you, I guess? As a trans queer person, I've had like, I would like they, feel like concurrent but different journeys. Mm -hmm. So like my gender, I think is a thing that I just had to reconcile a lot later because of how much inundation there is of a binary gender system in Mormonism. But like, I knew I was queer and I used to say gay when I felt differently about myself, but I knew I was queer as soon as I started having crushes on people. Um, Cause there were like boys that I was attracted to. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that was supposed to be wrong, but also just something that was happening and was a part of me um, and was something I felt a lot of anguish over for a long time. Um, but more than that, in regards to my gender journey, like as a young 
person. I never fit in with boys or girls. <laughs> I fit more in with girls and I understood, I think, feminists a little bit more inherently and the rules there made more sense to me. But I always, most of my life upbringing until I found a trans community here in San Francisco, I just felt like I was missing a piece of a social handbook that everybody else had and I couldn't fit in. And it weighed very heavy on me for a lot of my life. Yeah, I was always doing jump rope and tether ball with the girls. <laughs> that was what I- the ball games, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was always the one making like weird imaginary games or like inventing games on the playground mm. where we had to like bring, like there was one game that we played it was like a complex form of tag where to like unlock someone from the place after they got tagged, you had to have like a jeweled bobby pin. <laughs> so we all started like asking all of our moms for jeweled bobby pins to bring to school <laughs> in elementary school. <laughs> oh, fun. Well, I remember playing kiss tag when I was like in grade school and we were so young too, and we like run and catch the other person and then we were too scared to actually kiss them. So it was like, so then you would just stop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, and so, so, so you, what, at what age were you when that started to clash? Um, I would say probably, I mean, I'm, I started school early and so I was a little younger than most people around me, but coming around, hi Elizabeth, hi, uh, coming around like middle school, I started to have feelings of attraction to diverse genders. Mm -hmm. um, and like the more I spent time with people, the more I realized that, yeah, I definitely have crushes on boys and I never really like, thankfully we didn't have like really a, a locker room set up. I didn't go through that trauma that a lot of young queer and trans people have to go through. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I do. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so wild. I didn't, I didn't recognize it's, you know, it's like a lot of that stuff. I didn't recognize it in the time, but now I can look back and just be like, Oh, wow. Like that has been there this whole time. Totally. And I rationalized it a lot. Like I was like, I just want a really close guy friend. And people would be like, you, ha you have close guy friends. And I'd be like, no, but different, you know? Like the <laughs> right. best, best guy friend. Like someone that's just like, it's just us and we do a lot of things together all the time and we're really intimate. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Hi, James. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, James sends love from Toronto. Um, James has a great podcast called This Little Light of Mine, but okay. it's, it's really great. <laughs> it's a little segue there. Um, so when did drag come in for you? Drag didn't come in until after performance. So I've been a, a trained and professional theater artist for over a decade. Um, mm -hmm. And I started theater very young. And I think that was my earliest form of drag. And I like have always been like, I was trained in Shakespeare very early and I was always more drawn to the women roles in Shakespeare, but didn't really have a way to be able to discuss or articulate that to teachers. So I would just enjoy those parts of the text. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of theater first gave me my first glimpse at like what performance was, but it took a long time for me to get to drag. I think because of so much internalized transphobia and queerphobia. I mean, even all through college, I was a, a gay guy. Mm -hmm. I was just like a different gay guy. I was like a quirky gay guy. <laughs> like right. I was trying very hard to fit in. And I had people in my life that were because of where I was um, in college in Oklahoma, spouting some pretty like queer and transphobic rhetoric of like, well, if people could just be normal, then we'd already have rights, uh, which we all know is a lie. Right, <laughs> Not right, true. Right. And the only rights that we have come from loud activists and sex workers who broke the binary and were people of color and were trans. So 
Yeah. I hope those people have found their way in the journey to a little bit more enlightenment. <laughs> but anyway, um, I hope so. coming to San Francisco was really what like sparked drag for me because I finally encountered a local trans community. Mm -hmm. And I also encountered like a local drag community and that was not anything I'd ever experienced anywhere I'd lived. And where did you um, grow up? I was born in Utah. Okay. Um, that's a good question from Amy. I want to answer that in a second. Yeah. I was born in Provo, Utah, because um, my parents met at BYU. And then we moved to California when they graduated and I was young. And then I was raised mm -hmm. in a pretty conservative suburb in Southern California. And then I went to school at Pepperdine University. And then I transferred to the University of Oklahoma. And then I moved out here. Oh, wow. That's a That's quite the journey. Yeah, I was noticing Amy does have a good question. Um, hello, Marcus in Chicago as well. Um, so Amy asked, how did you connect to God in those dark moments where you felt it didn't match up with your religion? Yeah, I've always had like a very a personal spiritual relationship with sort of something bigger. And I don't necessarily know that it always related to uh, the idea of God that Mormonism had, but like, mm -hmm. I do feel like there is something larger in all of us that we connect to. And so like prayer or like maybe self meditation, cause it really wasn't structured. Like as, <laughs> as, as a, a self-proclaimed like witch, I definitely practice more chaos magic than ritual. And a lot uh -huh. of my spirituality manifests in like, in allowing fluidity, like I do with my gender and allowing fluidity in my spiritual practice and moments of need and like trusting my intuition, which mm -hmm. has always guided me right. So I had a lot of like battling depression in college. I would go behind, there was a very beautiful chapel at the Pepperdine campus. Um, and it has this giant stained glass window and it overlooks the entire Santa Monica pier in the distance. And oh, so I would go and lay there on the bench and cry and have conversations with myself and my idea of whatever God is yeah. for a while, just processing things. Um, and that was strong therapy for me to be able to vent and to process like, why, why do I feel so different? And I think that was a, a lot of it for a long time was I just have always felt very, very different than people. And it, it was very difficult living in a system for a long time that didn't allow difference. Right. So there was this element of like, yeah, maybe I don't fit in the Mormon religion, but that doesn't mean there's not this God or this, this thing that's in my life. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think too, like an element of Mormonism that stuck with me and that I, that I enjoy is the element of family history and cultural history. There's a lot of like tracing of like, they do extensive records way back of like where your family comes from. And so for me, like I've always been a research oriented and pretty scientifically minded person. And that comes into my magic and my spirituality as well, because mm -hmm. I really like some of the earliest things that I did were Google searches about queerness and about studies of queerness and trying to find little windows for myself that could help to get those intuitions that I already was having mm -hmm. anchor um, okay. and to help me find that sort of like practice of, of taking in the real world around me and and trying to bring the sort of spiritual intuition that I have close to that world. Right. Because I do think there are things that are like real and tangible and that having a practice for me of spirituality that aligns and helps support those tangible things helps me exist. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's so powerful too. It's it, yeah, it's really powerful. And I know for me, it sounded like too. It's like I struggled to like figure that out on my own. It was like once I could kind of see it or hear about it in other people, I could be like, oh yeah, that's me, kind of, but not quite. And you know, but I could take a little something and then kind of lean into it to to get a little closer, you know, to where I am today. Yeah, I could even yeah. say that that kind of aligns with Mormonism too, because they do believe that there's like. They call it the Holy Ghost, but really it's like, I see it as like the voice of your intuition, mm. which if we look at epigenetics is like guided by your ancestors and, and like genuinely like guided by the historical traumas and knowledge that you're passed on mm. through this beautiful system of our DNA. Like that does speak to us in very primal, visceral ways. And so it's really interesting that even in this very regimented religion, there is this element of like, trusting that individuality and that mm -hmm. voice. And I think I just took that and ran with it farther than they may have expected me to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, and it's, I don't, you know, that was something that I didn't necessarily, I don't think I've gotten, and I've still kind of struggled with religion is this idea of like, there, it kind of feels like there's this like denial that has to happen, like, like that you're not allowed to like, well, one, you can't trust yourself because you're sinful or you're like whatever and that's something that i've really been trying to embrace because i lived a lot of my life not not trusting myself and that didn't get right. me that didn't get me anywhere well you know <laughs> yeah i agree i feel like a lot of the times that i and one there's a difference between like discomfort and shame and i actually love discomfort i love times when i'm uncomfortable because it's the only way that we can grow at a really amazing like i have a lot for a Church of Christ school, I had a lot of really amazing progressive professors at Pepperdine. Um, our Bible professor specifically was looking at the Bible just as a as a text that was a history of a community and mm -hmm. was like giving us documentation specifically, like took time in class at the Church of Christ College to mention that translations of the Bible have changed every single time and that queerness is not necessarily something that's truly referenced in original source material of the Bible mm. in a negative way. So I deeply appreciate him giving whoever other than me, young queer people in that class, that window. Psychology yeah. professor too at that school, um, skipped uh -huh. through half a lecture one day to make sure he could get to the point where he's like, we used to think that gender was like a binary in the brain, but we've now mm. realized that all of the shapes that we used to call male and female brains are actually a hodgepodge in everyone's brain. Right. And so everybody has different elements of feminist and maskness in them. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I bless him for taking the, skipping the lecture to get to that part to speak to this little queer kid. Um, right, yeah. Well, and a lot and of that. No, go for it. I would say a lot of the challenge for me though, is I think that a lot of that stuff does exist within the text and those sorts of things. But when people have spoke about it, like no one ever said that that existed in that, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know there, cause nobody like, I didn't know there were people of color. I didn't know there were like, you know, trans people. I didn't know like that was stuff that it's all in there. You know, it's all in a lot of the teachings but the, people didn't use those words. And, and, and so, and I kind of felt that way too. I grew up not seeing people like myself. So it wasn't never like, you can't be you. It was more of just like, I don't know where I am. Right, you well, know, and like, especially in the Mormon church, which like as a uniquely American religion is also very white and very white guided um, and anchored. And like, like we were talking about that drag number that I did uh, mm -hmm. as Jesus. 
yeah, and that's yeah. rooted. That, that drag number that I do is rooted in a lot of these paintings of white Jesus that are like the same approved hunky white Jesus benevolent paintings that are hung in every Mormon church everywhere. And it's just not accurate. Uh, so I feel like there's a, like, it's fascinating the amount of double think in a religion that is so curious about tracing our personal histories, mm -hmm. but then won't expand that to a larger sense of like a holistic history of the mm -hmm. world and looking at like, especially a religion that was so persecuted in its creation can't right. like holistically view that kind of persecution and trauma. Mm -hmm. um, that was just interesting for me to reconcile as I tried to, to unlearn some of the toxicity of whiteness from my youth. Oh, right, right. And um, so has spirit, and you mentioned a little bit about that um, number about kind of being Jesus in your number. Has How has spirituality played in your drag pers personas? Cause you have multiple personas. How has spirituality played a role in that if at all? Um, so drag for me and before drag theater have always felt the closest I felt to any idea of what God was. Um, and I think it's partly because there's this like interesting idea in Mormonism of like the past and the present and the future sort of like coalescing into moments and those moments being epiphanies. Um, and like, that's something that feels very potent to me. Um, and, and theater does that. Like the most joyous moments that I felt free as like a human studying the human experience, which I think a lot of religion does at its like coolest moments, um, trying to make sense of the human experience and the spiritual realm. Theater does that um, mm. really beautifully um, and kind of comes from that. The more I traced back the roots of like performance and performance art and drag and theater, like comes from these like, a lot of similar places that religion does of like telling stories that matter to us as a community mm -hmm. and shaping those stories into personal ritual practice. And so that's what drag is for me. Drag for me every time I go on stage is um, a communion with an audience mm -hmm. where we're like sharing an intangible thing because you can't really articulate what that electric spark is between people. I, I can like put scientific words to the like sensing of electromagnetic frequencies that you can't do through a screen and like, <laughs> and right. like, the inherent strangeness of being in the presence of other humans and sensing breath mm. and all the micro expressions. But, but there is an electricity that comes with live performance mm -hmm. um, that has always felt spiritual to me. And yeah. my drag numbers are often shaped by the idea that each drag number I do is a ritual. And it's usually addressing some kind of harm that I've either, either felt or that I've seen and trying to find ways, like I say, to like ritually exercise that harm yeah from the world through performance. Yeah, yeah, and communion, you know, it's like communion, I, um, I never did communion in church and stuff, but I've got, had opportunities to do it later on in life. And kind of like what you said, the thing about, for me, it's like about communion, it's the fact that you are all having a shared experience, right? You might be coming at it at different ways, you might not understand it the same way, but it's the fact that you're all kind of there. Like, I feel like, yeah, it is a very powerful thing. It's a lot of why I wanted to do this um, I started this before I had, had ever been done drag before. And I'd always saw like drag artists as spiritual, as our spiritual leaders, as queer folks, you know, they, they lifted our spirits. They raised money to take care of us. They've, they've taught us so much and they've healed us in so many ways. And I'm like, that's spiritual shit. Like that's what 
that's what a pastor should do. That's what a church, you know, does. Like well, community yeah. Does. At its core, like I think drag is community building and community activism. And I think in its best moments, organized religion does that too. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that like drag artists can perpetuate harm. Like there's a lot of ego that people yeah. get caught up in, in drag. And I don't necessarily think that that's always um, conducive to the beauteous work that we're kind of called to do as artists, that intangible thing that we're like, yeah. I mean, drag and theater and art aren't, um, aren't profitable <laughs> for most people. So why do we do it? Because we're called to it for something. Exactly. And I think that's something that, you know, like you, I think that's something that drag artists might want to really think about is the fact that they do have a power and they do have an influence and you, depending on how you, how you channel that, you know, it could be for good or it can be really harmful. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of drag that's personal, but also because it's a communal art form and communal just means like we come together, we commune, like, because it is that, you also have the power to impact communities and things that you say on a stage. Any person who performs on a stage is on a, a platform and speaking from a platform affects the culture and culture directly affects tangible, like that thing I was saying about like tangible and aligning it with the spirituality, like harm happens. Harm mm -hmm. is real, trauma is real. Um, so if you're proliferating harm or if something that you're saying in a number that you maybe didn't think was harmful and someone calls you out for it. Like that's actually an act of love because it's helping you to be better in service. I, I, I wish there were ways that we could continue to make artistic training, not a financial gate kept thing. Yeah. I wish there were more safe places for people to fail as they're learning to become artists, yeah. especially because I feel like, like, like health and psychological health, and remembering that you are not your art, you are a beautiful holistic human even outside of your mm -hmm. art and your art is just something you're creating that is a part of you. Um, yeah. Would help us all to be able to maybe overcome some of the internalized bullying that comes mm -hmm. through in yeah. queer spaces yeah. sometimes. Very well said. And I think nowadays it feels like even harder to fuck up. You know, it's like you need <laughs> to have it all figured out and you need to do it all right. And then if you're not, then it's like, I don't know, it, it can be really um, paralyzing at times if we're not, you know, willing to just still kind of like, like you said, just kind of fuck up and do something wrong, try not to, um, but then, you know, you know, because we can't let it stop us from from creating. No, and if and if the, if you're more worried about fucking up than you are about growing, mm. you won't be able to grow. Yeah. Um, so like everybody's gonna make really crappy mistakes. It depends on do you heal the harm? <laughs> that step from Mormonism that I've carried forward that I think is really inherent in social activism. Do you heal the harm? Do you listen to who you've harmed? And then can you grow and not do it again? Because there's right. a difference between making mistakes and needing to grow and never being exposed to things versus patterns of harm and patterns of abuse. It's a different it's a different practice. Yeah, for sure. Hi, April. Hi, beautiful as well. I'm going to take like a little break. We're going to just throw like a little video, um, take a 30 second break. People, you can think of your people, sorry, audience members. If you want to think of questions, feel free to put them in the comments and we'll be right back in just a couple of seconds.
and we're back. See, that was quick. <laughs> I saw one question in the chat asking about conversion therapy. And I never went to conversion therapy, but I should mention that my parents got divorced right around the time where I was going into middle school and mm -hmm. having uh, queer awakening <laughs> moments. And so I don't know how many of y'all have seen um, Angels in America, but the term yeah. back uh, is a term that that show semi-popularized, but means like kind of Mormon, but not really. And, not really. and like my core family were always pretty Jack Mormon. Jack Mormon. My mom yeah. is a very strong willed, strong minded woman. Um, mm -hmm. And the church doesn't ask for that. <laughs> right, and right, so right, I've right. always been very guided by, by my mom and, and she more than anything accepted me very early, I think because of her personal life experience outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And how has, um, you know, I drag drag was helpful for me to um, come to understand my my gender identity, my transness. Well, what's your your relationship to drag and your I guess gender identity or transness? Totally, drag has completely uh, has really redefined my relationship with my body as a trans person, um, and really helped me to learn a lot about like. My transness is inherent no matter what steps I choose to take or not to take with my body. Mm -hmm. I am trans and that's inside me. And I've felt that since I was a child and I don't get to, I don't get to pull the luck of the draw. I mean, people that really research the science know that like it doesn't end at chromosomes. There are like 14 to 15 different steps before you go from chromosome to, uh, to sex characteristics. And they're all different. There's a wide variance in the human race. So if you don't already know that, I encourage you to look into that science It's fascinating. And it's more than we're spouted at by people that try to shut us down. Um, right, right. And so a lot of a lot of that's helped me, but also just like drag and being a physical performer, drag has helped me to come in tune with my movement and my body in ways that theater was never able to. And mm -hmm. dance through drag has helped me to do that. And burlesque especially has helped me to embrace that. Mm -hmm. I'm a very sexual person and that's a part of my spirituality as well. Right, um, yeah. It's, my drag name is a pun on the fact that I'm a polyamorous person. Mm. Um, and that's a part of my spirituality as well, because I've yeah, always yeah. felt like, uh, I've always felt like a, um, a bit of a siphon for humanity and for experiences because mm. I'm very empathic and I love encountering people and being a safe space for people to be themselves. Mm. Um, and I do that in my relationships too. So that's yeah. been a major way that drag has helped me to really love my body mm. and to realize that my body is what it is and to be comfortable in whatever the heck I want to wear walking down the street at any time of day yeah to be ready to, to be ready to fight to stay safe as a trans person right 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 yeah um Kaylaylin Young said asked Polly have you been able to connect with any other ex-Mormon trans and or drag folks what has that been like um some ex-Mormon and some just generally like Christian either practicing or not anymore, mm -hmm. drag folks. Um, I think there like, there is a sense with Mormonism, like it's not an openly supportive religion yet. So there is gonna be trauma. And I think yeah. that like discussing the idea of like, it's a major sacrifice to leave the community that you're raised in. Um, and so finding queer community and finding drag are so important in those ways, I think is a thing that I've commiserated with other uh, exmos about mm -hmm. for how drag affects things as you really are like 
when you choose to be a drag artist, you're tapping into community in a larger way than just being a queer person that goes to the bars because you're building relationships with the venue, you're building relationships with every audience member, and suddenly you're a public figure in a completely mm-hmm. different way because people yeah. expect you to be a steward of the space and expect whether rightly or not you to be a steward of their time in that space. Oh, um, right. There's a different level of responsibility that comes with it and that plugs you into community in a different yeah. way. Yeah, and that, that you know, talking about the fact that like the, all the family dynamics and the tight knitness, like you said, it's like, as soon as you kind of step out of that line, then it can be like a huge, like it's a huge loss. Cause it's not like just because you like, you lost going to church. It's like you lost everything because that's a right. big part of even the belief that if the person isn't living in a certain way, then you got to kind of like make some space. Right, well, and I'm really lucky that I had parents who had the grace or the space or the distance to be able to say, like, it's okay when I finally chose to come out to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I've come out to my mom so many times now. <laughs> <laughs> came out as gay, came out as non-binary, came out as queer instead of gay, came out as polyamorous. At this mm-hmm. point, it's just a game of like, what's coming next? <laughs> and she's right, been right. amazing through all of those curves. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be able to put my dad in drag and to have both my parents see me mm-hmm. perform in drag shows. Um, That's awesome. That's been... That's that's been an, an important personal journey for me. That's 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 magical. That's really great to hear. And lucky, and in a way, luck. Like I inherently acknowledge, there's a lot of privilege and there's a lot of luck in that. Yeah. How cool, though. <laughs> um, what there was a question I was going to have, and then I forgot it. Oh, what is your spiritual practice like now? If if you like, what w- would you say you do, or how you identify? Yeah, I think art for me is a lot of my spirituality. I am I don't identify under any one type of practice. Like I said, I'm a bit of a chaos witch. Um, <laughs> and that really fits with like being an individual who's genderqueer, gender fluid, non-binary. I feel like all of those labels fit who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And so I need different things on different days, but art is always a constant for me yeah. and is a place where my spirituality really manifests. Um, because yeah, I don't, more... go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say like, I, uh, my art uh, as, as the bio so carefully put is very um, activist mm-hmm. and can be, I'm a, I'm a loud political activist for better or worse. Um, and it, that is a part of my spiritual practice, like reducing harm mm-hmm. and fighting for just like a world that's more comfortable and safer and fairer for everybody is a major anchor in my spirituality. So mm-hmm. mainly it comes in through my art and I'm like a creator, I write I write theater and that lets me communicate these things that I think are very important. Um, yeah. yeah. What's more spiritual than creation, huh? Than creating? Right, well, and as trans people, there's this like, this beauty of our metamorphosis of like, we do have a hand in our own creation mm-hmm. and, and what is more close to, to whatever the idea of God may be than like trusting a person with that responsibility while they're yeah. here. That's that's yeah, a yeah. big responsibility for us and we have to navigate it. And I think that's powerful. And I think that that's what drag is. And it's why I think drag is inherently trans queer art form. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that our cis siblings aren't able to participate. You're totally welcome to, but, but remember that if anybody starts saying that drag didn't come from trans sources or excluding trans people from the art form, 
that it's our responsibility to protect this space that they carved out for us to be able to exist. Yes, well said, well said. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah it's like, like, like we just have so much power, like drag has so much power, but I think trans people do too. I And I do believe like, create like, I don't know, I felt like when I was younger, I felt like, okay, I was created by God or whatever, right? And it's like, no, I am continuing to be created. And I lived a lot of my life being created by all the shit that's happening to me. And now like once I started living a spiritual life, I can now be a co-creator. Like I, I can be a part of my creation, not just a product of cre my creation in the sense of like shit that's happened to me, if you will. <laughs> So now we're getting into this like really interesting, tricky sci-fi element of Mormonism where they believe that if you're like really, really good, then in the afterlife, you'll become basically like a God. But mm -hmm. I think that we have that power in our own lives every day and that the idea of transformation, um, which is core to transness, which is core to drag, which is kind of core to spirituality too, yeah, is always with us. And we always have that power. Like you can stop and abandon and break patterns and pick up new things that serve you anytime. We have yeah. that power, you're right. Like even if you're not trans, you have the power to continually shape yourself. Like these cells that we are, are rapidly changing. We are mm -hmm. literally not the same person that we were before. Yeah, so yeah. I think that that's the science meshing in with my spirituality that's really freeing for me. It's like time is passing always and we always have the choice to be able to step towards a change and to sculpt our own future and to co-create right. ourselves. Exactly, well, and it's like, there's a, for me, it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen after I die. So, I mean, I believe I'm meant to like, hopefully have that before I die, you know, to like, to have that experience before I die. And I never, and I think a lot of why I do the work I do is like, and I, I sometimes use words that just, I don't know, they're just words like, like I would say like, what's the use in getting to heaven if, if everyone's not there with me, you know, why would I want to go to heaven and be there by myself? That was one of my biggest challenges with the religion that I was brought up in was this idea that my, the wonderful loving people in my life were going to hell unless <laughs> they, you know, like did something different, but. Well, and it's similar with Mormonism, not in that there's a hell, cause I don't know that there ever really was that kind of idea, but that there's multiple levels of heaven that mm -hmm. you have to like do good things to get to the one with your family. I, I don't, I wish, deeply that everyone could not be shamed for being alive and for having living impulses and for being a conflicting bundle of neurons. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think that being human is inherently a fluid experience. Um, yeah. And that as a society, we're moving closer to embracing that truth, but I don't know that we've hit it yet. Mm. Um, yeah. And we, we need that, we need that kind of permission to mm -hmm. be able to grow and to change and to not be shamed for this gift that we didn't choose. Yep. And it's part of why I'm such a vocal activist for like, mm -hmm. give homeless people free housing. Like these, these arbitrary things that we make up that make it harder for people to exist. When nobody asked to be here, right, as far right, as right. we know, I, I think it doesn't make sense to me. Like everybody should have the basics that they need to be able to survive. And then yes. what they make of their life from there can really be up to them. Mm -hmm. And nobody yeah, and should be ashamed or penalized for existing. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's the part of like what our responsibility is in giving this gift or being in this way is that we have to like transform that idea to other people that 
why do things have to be the way they are? Like, do they have to be the way they are? Can you stretch yourself? Because it feels like so many people get, I don't know, I just don't know how to not be who I am. And I love who I am, no matter how difficult it is sometimes to feel like I don't know where to fit. Like, I wouldn't change who I, like, I just wouldn't change anything about myself. Right. Um, well, and in a way, drag gives us the practice of evolving because mm -hmm. you have to step onto a stage and live in a way that you like, like Polly is many parts of me, but that's not how I walk down the street <laughs> every day. Like it's, it's, it's an performance is heightening. It's like, it's, and I think a lot of what religious storytelling is in a similar way to theater storytelling is it takes things and then expands them to a massive size so that we can look at them more broadly and mm -hmm. we can examine them with like the emotional impact as well as the historical impact. Um, so I think that like drag does that, it gives us the chance to practice change, but it also gives us the chance to practice like celebrating the parts of ourselves that are our constants and mm -hmm. celebrating the parts of ourselves that are often shamed. Yes, and King Lotus Boy says, I agree on one end, but also part of my beliefs are in past lives, in that vein, we do choose to be reborn into our current lives because we need to continue healing something ancestrally or to carry out a higher purpose. I love the idea of that. Mm. I don't know that I'm personally there yet, but I love the idea of that. And I like the idea that like, I do think we should always be looking to, to, heal, to, to heal pain and to keep yeah, moving yeah. forward and to, Progress happens. And if you try to fight progress, things fall apart. Right. Everything is always on the on the edge of growth or entropy. Right. And I, I think the sacred aspect of that is even that um, wrong, that resistance is part of part of what it takes to become what we're becoming, you know? Right. Yeah. King Lotus Boy says agreed. Always healing, progress won't come without it. And I like the idea of anchoring ourselves to growth. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing as mm -hmm. humanity as we can, and everybody has different capacities. I'm a disabled performer. So there are things that I can do and there are things that I can't do. Um, and within my limitations, like I wanna keep growing. It's part of why I love art. Cause like, you can't ever be done. Like I'm never gonna reach the part with theater or drag where I'm like, that was it. That was the perfect performance. It's impossible. <laughs> It's impossible. And if it ever happens, I think I genuinely will go poof and disappear. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's something I like took from one of my favorite, favorite teachers from college. Um, Dr. Judith Pender said like, you can't ever be perfect. And if you are, you go poof and disappear. And that's why we keep chasing art and theater. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Like, I think the anchoring ourselves to growth through healing, I think is something that feels anchored in in humanity like we're as a species we have this adaptation gift that's both our biggest strength and our biggest uh harm <laughs> yeah stacy says ever changing um and i was curious so what's a what's something you're looking forward to i I have lots of things that I look forward to. A lot of them are the art that I want to continue to make. Um, right now I'm taking time 
I think the pandemic has redefined my relationship with my body in that I am a pretty gender non-conforming person in public and that's exhausting on a daily basis. And so being home with just the people who love me and who see me as me and who never judge me and wearing what I wanna wear and being with my body as it is uh, fully changed a lot for me. Mm-hmm. And so going back into the world, I'm like just enjoying and looking forward to like bringing that back into the world and bringing this new sense and uh, confidence that I've found through this next layer of metamorphosis. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to like, I just enrolled in more learning. College mm-hmm. was kind of traumatic for me in a lot of ways. I think college can be traumatic for a lot of people because the education system is not uh, fair for people that are not a certain type of brain. Mm-hmm. Um which I am not. <laughs> and so I just re-enrolled on my own terms for some fashion classes to be able oh. to continue to learn skills that I have wanted since I was a kid, mm-hmm. but that I never felt like it was realistic right, to right. chase. Um, mm-hmm. So giving that, that giving myself permission to find fruition for those things that I've always loved is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. (laughs) And you just started a all trans show. Do you want to talk about that and kind of like why, why an all trans show? What's important about that? Yes. Um, Well, I cannot say that it's the first all trans drag show, even in this city, because this history of the city is rife with beautiful trans drag artists. But my dear friend Lola Lude and I started an all trans drag show called In Transit in the Castro which I think a lot of people have historically experienced some transphobic harm from people that um, mainly I've experienced it from the hands of cis gay men who just have some growing and learning to do. And part of that learning is exposure. So I'm really proud to be in this queer center in San Francisco, bringing trans drag and expanding the definition of what drag can look like and not necessarily just fitting one uh, pretty, or one passing standard of drag, mm-hmm. embracing like very gender diverse trans performers. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. coming up monthly at the Edge. And if you okay. are in San Francisco and want to come see it, you can find it probably on my page or through uh, looking at In Transit on uh, Facebook. Awesome, and we'll we'll uh, include some of that information in the description for folks who are just coming across that way um, through the audio who can't see the flyer that was up. Um, and then, um, you know, one of the things like, um, well, I mean, once I saw your first performance where you were Jesus at the stud, I was just like, wow, and you won the pageant. But one of the things like during Shelter in Place is you were like producing <laughs> so many videos and uh, performances that I was just blown away. You're talking about lip syncing. I guess you started so young because you, like you're amazing. But um, <laughs> I wanted to really encourage people to like, to, to find your work because you'll see, like it's just such a variety to like political kind of humor stuff to like um, emo kind of like, I don't, you just have such a range that's Thank been you. really, uh, it's been really fun for me to, for me to watch at least. So um, what's the best way for people to get connected to your work and support your work? Yeah, so if you want to see a lot of my work, a lot of it is on my Instagram page, which is where I have, I pretty much post most of my content or at least a preview of all of my content there, which Mm -hmm. is at Polly and Peter. But if you want to support my work, I just started a Patreon, um, which is patreon.com slash Polly Amber Ross, P-O-L-L-Y-A-M-B-E-R-R-O-S-S. 
And it's uh, a way of me beginning to acknowledge and try and find the way to keep art sustainable. Mm -hmm. As artists, we take on a lot of financial liability and yeah. the expectation of artists to continue to grow and change under systems that don't socially fund us are hard. <laughs> yeah. And I like eating. I do. I enjoy having food <laughs> and I enjoy being able to, to continue to grow and create new things. But at a certain point, it, it, it can't be sustainable unless I'm, unless I'm getting help from the community to be yeah. able to bring that as a community service. Because I believe art is that. I believe art is a community service that betters us all. Agreed. And for folks who might not be aware of what Patreon is, is it's a way that you could contribute monthly to support somebody's work. So, and it can be as little as like, uh, you know, two or three dollars up to like 50 or a hundred or a thousand. Um, and that usually there's different perks um, uh, for some folks. I know for me, I'm pretty new. So like, and for me, it's just like, I just want to make all my stuff super accessible. So I'm like, so if you're supporting me, you're supporting that and hopefully more people will get their eyes on it or whatever. Um, but please do, if you're able, find a way to support um, Polly's work because it is amazing. I love you, Lotus Boy. You're remarkable too. Mm, Lotus Boy is amazing. Lotus Boy is going to be on the show on the 14th as well. So I'm excited to have Lotus on. Um, so we're right at our end of time. Um, did you have anything that you would like to share or before we go? Um, I just want to say to all the trans people listening that you are loved and that you are you and you're important. Um, and I don't think we hear that enough, especially right now during a time that is so um, difficult logistically um, and legally for so many trans people just to be able to exist safely. Um, and I want to say to every queer person that like queerness is a journey and how beautiful it is that we're embarking on that journey and continuing to like grow and learn. So like, remember that you are a fluid experience and that you are ever changing and that you have permission to hold on to the things that you love and that serve you and support you and to release the things that, yeah. that no longer do and that they can be different at all different points of your life. Right, right. And even if it, like, even if it's just a little, like, even if the steps are just a little, like lean into it because those little things turn into some pretty magical shit. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for being on the show tonight. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think we've too. given folks a lot to lot to hear and listen to. Um, thanks everyone for joining us tonight or whenever you're coming across this um, interview. Um, if you're following along for the series, um, our next uh, interview will be on Friday, June the 11th. Um, and our guest is Africa America. Um, and so I'm really excited to have her on the show. So check out the links uh, to learn a little bit more about her. And then, as I said, there are a few more folks uh, in the in the kitty that are coming up, one being uh, Lotus Boy, the second being Hollywood, Texas, and then also our last will be Honey Mahogany in this series. So oh, I know. What a series. What a freaking series. <laughs> yes, I'm super excited, definitely. Yeah, you're, you're, the, you're my 26th. Uh, drag artist that I've interviewed so far, so I'm I'm, I'm excited I've been that I'm for a while. So if, if everybody hasn't gone back to, there's some amazing historical content, and I'm grateful for you and a huge oh. thanks from like me personally and the community to you for doing this like deeply beautiful and important work. Thank you so much. I I need it myself, so <laughs> it's cool that it works for other people too. All right. <laughs> well, thanks everyone. Have a good night, and uh, I love you.
And we'll play this. Oh, you turn. 